Welcome back to the book of Jonah. We are still in the first chapter. This is part two, and we are going to be picking it up at verse five. Um, if you'd like to go back and listen to part one, uh, that's where I read the entire chapter. Uh, we're not going to do that here. We're just going to press on, uh, beginning with verse five. Um, you know, God called Jonah to a certain task. And that task, that calling on his life, was to go and confront the Ninevites. And the Bible tells us here that the wickedness of the Ninevites had come up before God. And uh, that is a way of saying that he is fully aware of what they were doing and what they had done. And it was so exceedingly wicked uh, that he was going to judge them for it. In fact, um, he was already uh, judging them. Um, but he has instructed Jonah to go in and preach the truth to them. Uh, and just to give you an idea of the kind of uh, folks that the Ninevites were, they were um, a very vicious and evil people at this point in time. Um, it's um, entirely possible that they were one of the most um, evil of any of the world powers at this time in world history. Um, they would cut off the heads of their enemies and they would impale them on poles and they would place uh, these poles around the city um, if they had conquered a place or a village or whatever. And they actually, from what we know of historical records, they delighted in the torture of uh, their enemy. Um, these were a bad bunch of folks. And you can do more, <clears throat> more research on your own. Uh, just a simple Google search on the Ninevites will give you more than enough detail uh, that I'm not necessarily going into here. But the reason I want to paint that picture is because Jonah knew about the Ninevites. He knew what they were capable of. He knew what they were doing. Um, and who knows, maybe one of the reasons that he was so reluctant to receive this call from God and actually live in obedience to God, um, maybe he feared uh, what they would do to him. You know, are they going to put me in a a pot of boiling oil and boil me alive in, in oil? Um, are they going to, you know, cut my head off and put my head on a stick? Um, you know, he did not have the advantage that we have where we can sit here and read the whole story and we know what's going to happen in the beginning and we know how it's going to end. You must remember that John is a real person and he's living this. Um, then on the other hand, perhaps he was not afraid at all. Perhaps he fully well knew that God was going to protect him. Um, and he simply wanted God to destroy the Ninevites because they were evil. Um, maybe it's just that simple. He did not want to have compassion on them. He didn't want God to have compassion on them. And here's something that you have to remember. You know, Jonah was an Israelite. He was in the nation of Israel. Um, and like he even says here in chapter 1, he is a Hebrew. He fears the one true living God, the one who created the heavens and the sea and the land. Um, 
And this group of Ninevites, they were Gentiles. And if you don't already know this, just to be clear, if you were not a Jew, you are a Gentile. Um, that's not meant to be racist or derogatory or anything like that. That's simply just a fact. In the Jewish mindset, there were the people of God, the nation of Israel, the Israelite people, and there was everybody else. And obviously, if you're an Ninevite, you're not an uh, Israelite, and therefore you're a Gentile. So it could be just as simple as what Jonah says here in the book of Jonah. Look, I know that you're a merciful God. I know that you have love. I know that you have grace. And I didn't want you to pour out your grace on these undeserving, evil, wicked Gentiles. Remember, they're worshiping false gods. They don't even worship the one true living God. But I'm going to ask some questions here, and you should consider this. Is fear a good reason for Jonah not to do what God has commanded him to do? Is fear a good reason for you not to do what God has called you to do? What about a desire for vengeance? Is that a good reason to say no? I'm not going to do what God called me to do. What if you actually want to see God serve up some justice? You know, God give those people what they deserve. Is that a good reason to say no to the call of God? And of course, the answer to this is no. None of these are good reasons. There is never a good reason for you to do the opposite of what God has called you to do. If God commands it, then as Christians, we are to simply do it. You know, if God tells you to do something, and this gets right into the main takeaway that I want you to get from chapter 1. If God tells you to do something, do it. Don't run from the call of God. What if you're afraid? What if you're not sure what's going to happen? You should do it anyway. Knowing that God is sovereign, God has called you to do that. <clears throat> you know, in the book of Ephesians... Uh, chapter 2, verse 10, we're told that we are his workmanship and that he has good works prepared for us already to do, that he had prepared that beforehand. So just imagine that. When God has called you to do something and you do it, you have the assurance that it is already completed. And in your obedience to God, you are merely participating in what he has already called you and got for you to do. The work is finished. It is an honor. It is a privilege. It is the grace of God that allows you to move forward with the calling that he's placed on you. So go do it and do it in boldness. You know, we must absolutely do whatever God has called us to do no matter what the situation is, no matter what the circumstances may be. And I know it's a lot easier to say this than it is to do it. But I want to be an encouragement to you to simply do what God has called you to do and let him take care of the details. He's going to take care of it. He would not have called you to do that and then leave you stranded. It may look like you've been left stranded, but he is there. He is ever-present. He is all-knowing, and he is working out something, maybe even beyond what you can see, 
He's working it out in you. He's working it out in the lives of others. He's using you for his purpose and for his glory. So here's what we should do. I got three things for you here. One, get up. Number two, go. Number three, proclaim. Get up, go, and proclaim. You know, this reminds me of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus says that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And we should therefore do what? Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all the things that Jesus has taught us, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, he gives us this great promise. He says, for lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Think about that. He's called us, each and every one of us Christians. See, the thing about being a Christian is you don't get to sit on the sidelines. It's not a spectator type of sport. Listen, dear Christian, if you have been called by God, oh, let me rephrase that. If you are a Christian... If you have been truly born of his spirit, regenerated from within, you have been called to participate in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How could you not tell others about what God has done for you? So, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone at times. You're going to do something that's a little uncomfortable. I am quite sure that as we get into this story a little more, we're going to read chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. We're going to see that, you know what? Jonah may not have been in his comfort zone going to preach to Ninevites. But God was with him. God called him. God set him apart for that purpose. You know, I'm reminded of Acts 1. You know, what happens in Acts chapter 1? You know, Jesus told us that we were going to be his witnesses you know it is very clear to the Christian way of thinking that we ought to get up go and proclaim I'm going to backtrack here just a little bit I know I said we were going to start at verse 5 um, but I just want to go back to verse 3 for a minute and the reason I want to go back to verse 3 um, is because of one word and it also happens in verse 4 as well. And that word is but. So you see the call of God on Jonah, but then you hear this. But Jonah did what? But Jonah arose and he fled. And in verse 4, there's another but. <laughs> and this but is what the Lord does. It says, but the Lord sent out a great wind. <laughs> so we have this but well, God, I hear your call, but I'm going to do something else. Or if you don't want to say the word but, you could say however. God, I hear you calling. However, I'm going to go do something else. I've got a better idea. Be very careful, friends. Dear Christian, be careful because God has another however. You say, well, God, I hear you calling. However, I'm going to go do something else beware because God may just say okay however <laughs> I have my own however and there's a storm coming your way 
See, Jonah was trying to run to, here's that word again that I struggle with, Tarshish. That's a hard word for me to say for some reason. But it's believed that that city was a port city um, off the coast of um, what is now Spain. It could have possibly even been Portugal. I've um, you know heard different um, points of view on that. Um, but the point of it is, regardless of where it was located geographically, Jonah was trying to get away as far away as possible and um, maybe even just get as far away as the end of the known world at that time. Just go to the edge of civilization. And I just wonder, as I look back over my life, maybe as you're looking back over your life, how many times has God called you to do something in, per, in particular? And it, you know, it could be something that we would even say, you know, gee, that's kind of small. Like maybe you feel a prompting of the Holy Spirit to go ask someone uh, to come to church with you. Maybe you feel a prompting to uh, do an act of kindness for someone without expecting anything in return. Um, but you know that you are to do that uh, for your neighbor uh, in the name of Jesus um, so that you could possibly minister to them in some way, meet their need. And it's so easy to make an excuse, isn't it? It's so easy to say, well, you know, gee, I'd really love to go and minister to that person, but my schedule is so full. But I have this other thing that's pressing in that I've got to go do. I've got to go do something else. How often have you done that? How often have I done that? Another word that we could use um, instead of uh, but or however, we could say that we're procrastinating. Well, Lord, I'll do that um, for you, I promise. Um, I'm just going to do it tomorrow. Um, You know, you don't necessarily have tomorrow. You don't even have the next breath. You don't know what the future holds. So do what God tells you to do um, when he tells you to do it. And think about it. When you disobey God, you are affecting everyone in your life. It's not just you. Uh, You don't live in a vacuum. You don't live isolated. You don't live by yourself. There are people in your life. Um, There are people that love and care about you. Um, And there are folks that um, they may need you to minister. You are the one that God called to go into that situation and meet that need. And when you disobey, when you say, no, I'm not going to follow the calling of God, you are going to impact everyone in your sphere of influence. So let's get on to verse 5. Verse 5 gives us an idea of just how much Jonah didn't seem to even care. He was asleep. And my question for you is, are you asleep? I feel like today that many people who attend church, in America at least, here in the West, many folks who would consider themselves to be Christians, they would consider themselves to be uh, spiritual people, um, they're asleep. There is a time, really, of a national storm here in the West. And we seem to be, in many cases, asleep, not aware of what's happening around us. We've turned almost a deaf ear to the call of God. And we see the benefit, or I'm sorry, not benefit, but we see the um, outcome and the um, the natural 
occurrences that would happen when we refuse to follow Christ. You know, I've heard it put this way. Your choice is Christ or chaos. Christ or chaos. And that's certainly what we see in our culture today. Chaotic thinking. All because we're asleep. So let's look at verses 6 through 17. I guess all the way to the end of the chapter. Notice that the pagans, the men who worshipped other gods, false gods, these sailors, they didn't think it was strange to pray. In fact, they had many gods. What was strange to them was that you would pray to only one god. And these pagan sailors, even though they're worshipping other gods, they have enough sense to know that the reason that this is happening is because we've offended somebody. Somebody on this boat has offended their god. Now, they were superstitious, and they worshipped, like I said, many gods. But think of this. Even the captain of the ship is shook. And he goes down into the bottom of the boat there below the deck where Jonah is asleep. And what does he call Jonah? He says, hey, sleeper, wake up. You know, this storm is beginning to rage to the point to where these seasoned, and I think of them as salty sailors, experienced men of the ocean, uh, you know, traders, merchant, uh, merchants, um, who knows, from all these different parts of the world. And here they are out on the ocean. They've done this many times before. They have experience, but this storm has come in, and they are so afraid that they think they're going to die, that the boat's going to be broken in two. But notice that God is dealing with his prophet. God is dealing with his chosen man. He's not dealing with these pagans right now. He is dealing with Jonah. Think about it. This is God's chosen man from God's chosen nation to do something that God chose for him to do. So, again, following along with this idea of superstition, verse 7, of course, they cast lots. And I'm just going to ask the question to you, dear listener, do you think those lots were uh, cast at random? Or do you think there was the sovereign hand of God controlling the outcome Obviously, it was the sovereign hand of God. In the midst of this storm which he created, he points the finger right at Jonah. God was in control of those lots. So they asked Jonah, Hey, what's your story? And that's my paraphrase. Where are you from? What's your occupation? What is going on? What have you done to bring this wrath of God upon us? And notice that um, to Jonah's credit, he doesn't back down. I'll give him uh, props for that. Kudos to J- Jonah for, for not backing down. But notice what he says. He says, I fear the Lord, the God who created the heavens, the sea, and the dry land. What is Jonah saying there? He's saying, you guys have all these different gods. You're polytheist. You worship everything that you can make an image of. And I'm telling you that I worship the God that created all of it. He 
created the heavens and everything that we look up in the sky and we see in the heavens. He made all of that. He made the ocean and everything that's in the ocean. And he made the land and everything that's on the land. He's the God of everything. He's the creator God. And what I love about this story is that even though these pagans don't worship the one true living God, it appears that they don't want to harm the man of God. Isn't it amazing that sometimes evil, wicked men can see so clearly when the hand of God is upon someone's life? Because and the reason I say that is because what do they do? They attempt to get back to shore. They start rowing hard against the storm. They want to get back to safety. They don't initially want to kill Jonah. They don't want to throw him overboard. But whose idea is it to be thrown in the, into the sea? It's Jonah's idea. And I want you to contemplate that. Look at what a guilty conscience can do. And I really see here a combination of guilt and shame and stubbornness. Jonah hasn't said yes yet. He hasn't said, yes, okay, God, I'll go. If you'll get us back to shore, I'll get off the boat and I will go preach. No, he says, throw me into the sea. It's almost as if Jonah is saying, I'd rather be in the ocean than do what God has called me to do. And these pagans recognize God's sovereignty. That's what I believe they see. They feared God. It, it looks like they, they feared him even more than Jonah. It says that they made sacrifices and they made vows. So here they are um, attempting to make peace with the God of this Jonah uh, character. But Jonah is content to be thrown into the sea. So a question for you. Can evil men recognize the power of God? Can they recognize that there really is only one true, holy, correct, living God? Can evil men even go as far as to worship this God? Absolutely they can. But here's the question. Does it make you saved? Does it make you reborn? Does it make you regenerate to recognize these things? The answer is no, it does not. See, there's a difference between giving what I would call mental assent. In other words, affirming that the Bible is true, affirming that Jesus is the only way, believing in God in a very general, generic sense. There's a difference between that and being truly changed, converted, being made a disciple, being regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And just contemplate that is that you? Don't be self-deceived. Don't think that because you recognize the truth and you know what the truth is, that that automatically means that you have been born again. So let's look at verse 17, the very last verse here in chapter 1. It says that God prepared a great fish. And that word for prepared... Uh, is actually the same word as appointed. And I like the word appointed. Prepared is a good word also. The bottom line is, is that God did this. God appointed, prepared, told, however you want to say it, 
this great fish to come and swallow Jonah. And notice that it doesn't say that Jonah got chewed up. Jonah was certainly negatively impacted, wouldn't you say? Remember, I, I told you that when you say no to the voice of God in your life, it's not only going to impact you negatively, it's going to impact others negatively. And of course, as we get to the end of this book, we'll know that he ended up almost dead at the bottom of the sea. Some believe, based on his prayer in chapter 2, that he actually did die and that God brought him back to life. I don't go that far. The Bible doesn't say that that's what happened, but some people do believe that. It doesn't really matter whether he died or not. He suffered greatly, and he spent three days in the stomach of a fish. So, he was definitely negatively impacted because of his disobedience to God's call. But there was also a negative impact on others, too. Think about those sailors in the boat. They were impacted by Jonah's actions, even though Jonah, or God was dealing with Jonah. So with that, I'm going to stop it here. We're going to continue on with a part three of chapter one, where we will have a conclusion to chapter one, and we'll finish it up. And then we're going to start Jonah chapter two. So with that being said, I hope this has been an encouragement to you. I hope that you have found something here that motivates you to follow the call of God in your life, dear Christian. Until we meet again, God bless you.